welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 to 23. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Um, It's so good to be with you. And before we dive into this passage, um, I just want to pray again. So would you join me in prayer? Father, you have said by your spirit that we do not live by bread alone, but that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so we pray this morning that your word would give us life. So many of us come this morning, we're weak, we're sick, and we've tried to fill ourselves with so many things that we think will satisfy. But make us hungry for your word. Make our souls thirst after you. Satisfy us in you by your word. Open up your word to our hearts and our minds. May it bring us life. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, It's good to see you. We have been working through the book of Hebrews the last few months, actually since Easter. So it's been four months now. And this morning, uh, we come to the second half of chapter nine. And if you're reading through Hebrews and you get to chapter nine, you will likely have the same reaction as someone who reads through the Bible for the first time and gets to the book of Leviticus. The reaction would be, wow, there's a lot of blood here. And Gabe wasn't wrong in the catechism, right? Because that is a good question. The question is why? Why is there so much blood here? And why is there so much blood in the Bible? And it is a really good question because humans, you and I, humans, uh, are naturally averse to the sight of blood. The sight of blood makes our stomachs turn. 
Seeing it can make us grow faint. Some of us, like myself, have a hard time with needles because of blood. Right? Blood is meant to stay inside of the body. And when it leaves the body, it's almost always associated with pain, with suffering, with sickness, with violence, with death. And so it's no wonder that for many of us, inside the church and outside of the church, we might ask the question, what is the deal with all this blood? Why is Christianity such a bloody religion? And now, before moving on, I want to make something absolutely clear. Nowhere does Christianity sanction or bless the shedding of the blood of others. So the Crusades in the Middle Ages were that sought to kill and uh, erase the infidels from the land. That is absolutely not the way of Christ. And those who seek to use the name of Christ to justify bloodshed are not following the way of the one who said, love your enemies and what? Pray for those who persecute you. And of course, here, again, another clarification. We're not, we're not talking about those, our, our brothers and sisters in the military or law enforcement who are defending and protecting life. We love those guys. But there are some growing voices in some circles today that in some extreme examples call upon the formation of a so-called Christian government that would shed the blood of political opponents or level the death penalty against the sexually immoral. Let's be clear, that's not what we're talking about. That is not the way of Christ. The one who said, my kingdom is not of this what? This world. And he shed his own blood for sinners. But if we're talking about Christian theology, and we are, <laughs> uh, it is bloody. Um, the word blood occurs over 350 times in the Bible. It is a very blood-filled faith. And the Bible is a bloody book. The songs that we sing are full of blood, right? We sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the what? Blood of Jesus. We sing, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. After the sermon today, we're going to sing, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So, and from the opening pages of the scripture, God has used blood to communicate in a very gruesome and visceral way that our sin has deadly serious consequences. And, though, at the same time, we see that he is deadly serious about our salvation. Amen? And so this morning, we would do well not to shy away from gazing upon the blood of Christ. And so as we open up the scripture, we will see in a very powerful way that blood communicates to us, as the saying goes, that we are at the same time more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, and yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen? And so in this passage in Hebrews this morning, so verses 15 through 28, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at how the blood of Christ frees us from the penalty of the law, how the blood of Christ forgives our sins, and how the blood of Christ readies us for Christ's return. Amen? It'll be good. It'll be good. 
And so, uh, to start, we want to look, though, through Scripture. And from the first pages of Scripture, God begins to reveal that both sin and salvation is a story written in blood. So when the first couple rebelled and sinned against God, Genesis 2.21 tells us that God made garments of skins and clothed them. So it would, be, it would have been the very first time that our very vegan, at that point, first parents would have seen the sight of blood shed from an animal. And it was shed because of their sin. It was as if the words, you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believed, were written to Adam and Eve in the blood of that animal. And then just a few years later, Adam and Eve would have been again faced with the sight of blood, right? I'm not talking about Cain and Abel yet. Oh, actually I am. But years before Cain murders Abel, Adam and Eve would have been presented with the sight of blood during the birth of both of the boys. And so even the joy of childbirth couldn't erase the reminder of sin's curse that the pain and the sight of blood brought on. And of course, nothing would compare to the pain that they would experience later on of the bloodshed between those brothers. Abel's blood, the Bible tells us, was crying out to the Lord. His blood showed the whole first family again that they were more sinful and flawed than they ever dared believe. And then as God's people continue to fill the earth, so does sin. And so as a way to put a stop to this hemorrhaging of sin that's happening in the world, God declares to Noah in Genesis 9, verse 6, he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God has made man in his own image. But not even that threat of death could prevent the continued shedding of blood. Because the world just continued to see their depth, to, 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 it continued into sin, seeing the depths of their sin and shame written in red. And so then God calls Abram, right? He calls a man named Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. And covenants were very common in the ancient world and were often sealed with blood. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament together is a story of God's covenant with man. In fact, the word covenant occurs over 300 times in the Bible. And if you can't already tell, we here at Covenant Grace Church are really excited about covenant theology. And so this week we actually have seven copies. And I really, at this, I, I really want to throw them out just to, you know, to, to like get you guys going, get the crowd going. But we, we do have seven copies of this book. We're going to leave them right here. We're not going to throw them out. And it's a book on covenant theology, and it's not too thick, um, but this one's a really good one explaining those covenants, those promises that God has made to his people through the Old and the New Testament. And it really brings the Bible to life. It brings the Bible together in a way that's very cohesive. And so we'd love for you to have those on the condition that you're going to read them and maybe tell somebody about them. 
But we see over and over again that these covenants were often sealed with blood. And so we, we see this first in the uh, blood that is shed during circumcision, where God tells Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 11, he says that that will be a sign of the covenant between you and me. And, and that would have occurred just after God confirms his covenant with Abraham in this very bloody covenant-cutting ceremony that was customary in the ancient world. And this is described in Genesis 15, where God has Abraham cut a calf, a goat, and a ram in half. And according to my like Google calculations, I'll admit, not, not, not great calculations, rough calculations, this would have drained about 10 gallons of blood. So about 10 milk jugs worth of blood. And all this was to show that God was so serious about his promises to Abraham. He was serious to the point of shedding blood. It's a bloody picture of the ultimate cross my heart, hope to die promise. And so God would keep his promise to Abraham and his people would multiply. But soon they would fall into slavery under Pharaoh and the redemption of God's people would come through blood. So first in the plague in Exodus 7, where God turned the Nile River to blood. The Bible says he turned it to blood, not just that it looked red, but that it actually became blood. But not even the sight of all that blood could soften Pharaoh's heart. And so more and more plagues came until the final plague of blood, and this time the blood of the firstborn would be the blood that was shed in the land. This is another horrific sign to communicate the tragedy of sinful rebellion against God. But for God's people, the blood would also be a sign of their deliverance. So in Exodus 12, 13, God declares, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so salvation of God's people would be found through the blood of the Passover lamb. And so all of this then is the backdrop for our passage in Hebrews 9. Verse 15 explains, in, in Hebrews 9, verse 15, it says, uh, it explains that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a newly revealed promise of God, in which, look at it, verse 15, it says, those who are called may receive the promised inheritance, eternal inheritance through the blood of Christ, right? They're going to receive that inheritance through the blood of Christ. And the author of Hebrews goes on to explain how even in the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that was a covenant, a promise inaugurated with blood. He describes this scene out of Exodus 24 where Moses reads the commandments of the law to the people and then he, you could imagine this, right? I'm we just had Sarah read scripture. You can imagine somebody up here reading scripture, reading the word, and then he just takes this branch and starts sprinkling blood, real blood, on all the people as they were listening. And he sprinkles it on the, on the word, 
He sprinkles it on all the people. And then in verse 22, the author of Hebrews says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on to explain, he says, and, and now that Christ has come, we see that the fulfillment of everything that the blood in the Old Testament was pointing to. Christ has become the better sacrifice, right? In verse 23, he has appeared before God as our great high priest, in verse 24, to offer his own blood and not the blood of bulls or goats, verse 25. He offers himself, though, as the once-for-all sacrifice for sin on our behalf. That's in verse 26, so that when we die and face judgment, we can know and trust that our sin has been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And so now we don't wait for Jesus to come back and take care of sin. We wait for him to return and reign forever. Amen? And so that's a lot. <laughs> so the question then is, well, what, is this, what does this mean for me today? And so all of this blood shows us that the blood of Christ frees us from the penalty of the law. Look back at verse 15. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised in eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So the purpose of the Mosaic covenant was never meant to make us think that we could live up to the law. The blood that was sprinkled on the people, I mean, they should have known, right? They should have got the hint that the blood that was sprinkled on the people was to show them that breaking the covenant leads to death. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ dies that death. He dies the death that you and I deserve, and he sheds the blood that you and I were meant to shed for breaking that covenant. And so what does that mean for us? I think it, one of the things that it means is we need to stop using the law as a barometer of our Christian life. So we need to stop using the law to, to measure whether or not we're doing good. And we fall into this thinking all the time. And for some of us, Christianity feels like a roller coaster that you're always on. One day we're up, we're loving God, we're loving our neighbor, we're reading our Bibles, praying, sharing the gospel at work, leading our families in family worship, all somehow at the same time. And we're, just, we're doing great, right? And then the next day, we somehow figure out how to break like 11 of the Ten Commandments. And we're just way down low, right, on that... We're, we're real low on that Christian roller coaster, and we're feeling condemned, and we're feeling distant from God, and we're hoping that tomorrow is like yesterday and not like today. Uh, then, then, then we can go up and down. This, this is no way to live, right? Christian brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ covers you no more or no less today than it covered you yesterday. Amen? Look to Christ's work, not your work. Yes, you are more sinful and more flawed than you ever dared believe, but don't forget that the blood of Christ reminds us that we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen? So what do we do with God's law? Do we just skip it, throw it away? 
Paul asks this question in Romans 3.31, and he says, by no means. But what do we do? So I think we can stop using the law as a barometer of our Christian life, but start using the law as a way to live a life of joyful gratitude in God's covenant promise to you. So you are covered with the blood of Christ. You can't wash that away. You've been called to receive this promised eternal inheritance. So what should you do now? Keep his commandments. <laughs> when we're trying to earn or prove our salvation, keeping the law is a burden. But 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? Burdensome. When you're thankful, loving God and loving your neighbor is not a burden. It's a blessing. And when you're grateful for your own forgiveness in Christ, it's not burdensome to forgive a wayward child, maybe. Or, or to forgive that friend who's really betrayed you. Or even to forgive that spouse who's really wounded you deeply. That burden turns into a blessing. When you're grateful that Christ sacrificed for you, it's not, bur it's not that burdensome to sacrifice for others. That burden becomes a blessing. And when you're grateful that Christ tirelessly preserved, persevered to bring you to God, it makes perseverance a blessing, not a burden. And I do have to confess, I'm tired. I'm actually tired right now. Um, but I've been tired, I feel like, all year, or maybe even for the past few years. But I know for me, God has been good to remind me of his faithfulness to me. And his perseverance keeps me persevering. And for that, I'm grateful. And so we see that the blood of Christ frees us from the penalty of the law. And next we see that the blood of Christ forgives our sins. Look back at verse 22. It says in, in verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then jump back down to verse 26, where it says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so we know from Hebrews, actually, that the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament sacrifice never forgave sin. It wasn't the blood of those goats that forgave sin. They only pointed to true forgiveness that comes through the blood of Christ. And so only in the blood of Christ can we find true forgiveness of sin. So what's that mean for us? I think, first, this blood helps us to remember and recognize the seriousness of our sin. In a literal and also in a British sense, our sin is bloody awful. I wasn't going to do the accent. I'm not going to do the accent. But it is. It's bloody awful. So our sins are not just mistakes or flaws or goofs or temporary lapses of judgment by otherwise wonderful people. Our sin is costly. Right? It says... Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our sin was the death sentence for our Savior. 
And I think sometimes we need to reckon with the blood that is on our own hands on account of our own sin. So I want to ask you the question, is there a sin in your life right now that you are not seeing the seriousness of? Are you giving your sinful anger a pass? Saying that you just have a little temper? Or are you blaming others that they're the ones making me mad? Are you letting yourself off the hook for the bitterness that you're harboring? Convincing yourself that it's just better to keep things all balled up inside. Kids, are you defying or lying to your parents and telling yourself that it's okay? Because mostly, I'm, I'm mostly a good kid. Or dads, are you being heavy-handed with your kids as you justify your harshness as just being the head of my house? Christian, are you allowing yourself to fall into arrogance or boasting or cowardice or division or envy or fear or greed or lust or pride or strife or wickedness as you spend more time dwelling on the sins of others than on the blood that is on your own hands. So blood helps us to recognize the seriousness of our own sin, but also Blood helps us see the seriousness of our Savior. Amen? So Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And we shouldn't ignore or minimize our sin, but please, please, please don't dwell on it. Robert uh, Murray McChain famously said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. And the paradox of the gospel is that Christ's blood actually cleanses us, right? Something that is supposed to stain actually cleanses. And Jesus' blood shows how seriously he takes forgiveness. So when we come to him with our sin, he, just, he, he doesn't just say, oh, you're good. He doesn't just say, oh, don't worry about it. He says, you are forgiven. He says on the cross, it is finished. He says in Luke 22, verse 20, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He says to you, I will bear the weight. I will take the blame. I will take the cup of God's wrath that was meant for you. How could you question the love of the God who tells us in Acts 20, verse 28, that he purchased us with his own blood? How could he give up on you now? How could you be too far off? You're not. Again, Blood helps us to see that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe and more loved and forgiven than we ever dared hope. And so we see that the blood of Christ frees us from the penalty of the law and the blood of Christ forgives our sin. And finally, here we see that the blood of Christ readies us for his return gets us ready for his return. Look at verse 27 again. We'll read 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, 
and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so this blood of Christ also makes us ready for and eagerly awaiting his return. So that when Christ returns to save, he has, he's cleansed us with his blood and he'll welcome us home to a land where blood will never again mean sickness or suffering or violence or pain. So our call to worship this morning, if you were in here for that, that Ian read was from Revelation 7. And so I want to pick up where he left off, where we left off continuing from verse 13. So this is Revelation 7, 13. It says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, I love this, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Which is a great verse to hear on a day like today. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so on that day, we will be able to look back with Adam and Eve, and we'll see that in Christ we have a better covering for sin than those animal skins were ever able to provide. We'll be able to look back with Abel and see that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's ever could. We'll be able to look back with Noah and realize that the shedding of blood could only be put to an end by the shedding of Christ's blood. And we'll look back with Abraham as he realizes that the animal blood that he saw as the covenant was cut with him was God's way of saying that one day God's own blood would be spilled in order to keep his promise and save Abraham and his offspring. And we'll look back with Moses and together worship the true and better Passover lamb, the true and better high priest, and the true and better sacrifice. And we'll do that forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing your plan from the first pages of your word. And we thank you for revealing Christ
from the first pages of your word. We thank you for his blood shed on our behalf. Teach us to be sober-minded about our sin and eternally grateful for our salvation. Give us the joy of believing that though our sin was as scarlet, you have washed it white as snow. And I pray this morning, if anyone here is hiding or excusing their own sin, that you would bring it to light. Show them the cost. I pray also that if anyone here this morning is questioning their own forgiveness, if anyone's struggling with assurance, show them the blood of your son poured out for them. You did not spare your own son for us. Why would we think that you would keep your love from us? Give us grateful hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.